Welcome to Highway Christian Community Sermon Downloads. For more sermons, please visit our website. We know you will be blessed as you listen. Take care and God bless. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that we are on a wonderful journey. That we want to see people saved and discipled back to the Father through the Lord Jesus Christ and in the power of the Holy Spirit. So today, Lord, as we turn to your word, give us ears to hear, hearts to receive, and we bring every thought captive to the obedience of the name of Jesus. That these words will not just be the words of man, but we will receive them as words from the Lord. Amen. I want to speak, continuing in the topic as we started a few weeks back, who is, we looked at who is the Holy Spirit. We then looked at the Holy Spirit in the life of Jesus. And today, I want to look at the Holy Spirit in the life of the early church, in Acts, and then next week we'll conclude looking at the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. All of these are for the believer, but we're just unpacking them through different uh, passages. The Holy Spirit filled you when you were born again, and you got all of the Holy Spirit. However, there is a distinct filling or baptism of the Holy Spirit. If you hear when I had that glass and I filled it up, I said, that's what happened to you when you received Christ. But when I put that into a bucket of water, that's when you were baptized, immersed into Christ. And if you can imagine, while you're immersed in Christ, you can still be filled. Not because you're empty, but because you need to, you want to overflow to others. You have the Holy Spirit in you for yourself, and thank God for the Holy Spirit, our teacher, our guide, our encourager. But he, but we fill to overflow for the sake of other people, that his life can reach them. Amen. So, I want to look in the, the book of Acts this morning, and we're going to consider the topic who needs to be baptized and filled in the Holy Spirit? And the first one we look at are the very disciples that had spent years walking with Jesus, seeing his miracles. They had been sent on, on mission trips and had witnessed wonderful things. You would think they got it firsthand, three years, saturated in the presence of Jesus. But even to them, he said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And in Acts chapter 2, when the day of Pentecost came, which incidentally is celebrated in two Sundays time, our last Holy Spirit uh, teaching. Isn't, isn't that interesting? Not that we... We finished with the Holy Spirit. We only began with the Holy Spirit. But it's just amazing how when we're talking about Jesus, we came into Easter, and now we're talking about the Holy Spirit. We come to Pentecost Sunday, incidentally, whatever you make of that. So let's be together in one place. And then suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separate and came to rest on each of them. That was a one-time occurrence. It happened in the Old Testament when God showed his approval on the temple. And it happened again with the new temple. 
the church of, of, of the Lord Jesus Christ, the body of Christ. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So you would think these disciples had it all. They'd seen it all. They'd heard it all. But they also needed to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. They needed the same filling of the Holy Spirit repeatedly in their lives. Another person you'll be surprised to see also needed the baptism of the Holy Spirit was this woman that the Bible says was highly favored and highly blessed. So even if you're a highly favored person and you're a highly blessed person, like Mary was, and when Elizabeth met her, she said, you are favored amongst women. I mean, she was going to bring the... Through the Holy Spirit, the, 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 the Messiah into the world. What a blessed woman. What a favored woman. But on the day of Pentecost, when it lists who was in the upper room, and there's a whole passage on that in Acts chapter 1, you see right at the end of that, in verse 14, they're all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the woman and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. Even Mary, the beloved Mary, okay? I think in, in some uh, charismatic and Pentecostal circles, they react a little bit, you know, against. But Mary was an awesome woman. And you're going to meet her one day, and you're going to celebrate with her the, 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 the fact that God chose and used her to bring Jesus into the world. She's to be honored and respected and loved. But maybe not as some people do and pray through her and all that. But Mary herself needed the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And she was there in that upper room. Another group of people who need to be filled, need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit are very devout Christian believers and religious people. And it says in Acts chapter 2, Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard the sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each of them heard them speaking in his own language. And when the people heard, uh, Peter goes into a sermon and he says, this is that, these men are not drunk as you suppose, but this is that that was spoken by the prophet Joel, that in the last days I'll pour my spirit. And Peter launches into a, a, an explanation of what had happened on the day of Pentecost. It says then, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? So Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, all whom the Lord our God will call. So even though they were devout, they were religious, and they were, they loved Jehovah. They'd converted out of the nations and come through into the Mosaic Covenant through circumcision and law obedience. They were doing the best they knew how to serve God. And they prayed, and they they, they loved Jehovah, even though he was distant, and they had to bring their sacrifices as an annual reminder. These weren't people to be scorned. These were devout, the Bible says. They were committed. They were loyal to the revelation they had in their season. Easy to judge them, but are we devout to the revelation we've received? The place God has brought us in understanding of this covenant. Devout believers needed 
to be baptized in the Holy Spirit and filled with the Holy Spirit. So, a few years later, there's a revival in Samaria. In fact, let's read about this revival. It says, Philip went down to the city in Samaria and proclaimed the Christ there. And when the crowds heard Philip and saw the miraculous signs, they saw, they saw the miraculous signs he did, and they all paid close attention to what he said. With shrieks, evil spirits came out of many, and many paralytics and cripples were healed. So there was great joy in that city. Would you say they were having some revival? Would you say they'd seen some stuff happening before their eyes? They'd seen people uh, being delivered of demonic forces. They'd seen bodies corrected and adjusted and healed. And there was much joy in that city because there was revival. I would like to be at that church as well. Amen? I want to... A few weeks ago, there, there was a lady that just had a manifestation. And just because a person has a manifestation doesn't mean they, they deep in some big sin or something, like we used to think, and bring the bucket so they can vomit it all out. No. Sometimes it's just an area of our personality that's been oppressed, and depression comes in, and we just need that release. And there's sometimes a shriek that comes with that. You know? It's like when you, you see, I won the jackpot. There's like a, I won the jackpot. No, I won the jackpot. It's like, there's just something that comes up and out. And to see bodies healed. I mean, we don't see enough supernatural healing. I'm saying, God, we want revival. This is revival. But these same people needed to be filled with the Holy Spirit and to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Because it says a few verses later in that same chapter, when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, so now they've accepted it, they've given their lives to Christ, received the Messiah, they sent Peter and John to them. And when they arrived, they prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them. They had simply been baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Can you see that with me? Mary was a blessed Favored woman, she needed to be filled and baptized in the Holy Spirit. There were devout believers who were committed to their cause. They needed to be filled and baptized in the Holy Spirit. There were the disciples who'd walked with Jesus and talked to them and seen signs and wonders. They needed to be filled and baptized in the Holy Spirit. And here we see a church where there's revival and people are giving themselves to the Lord and they're being baptized in water as a sign to the world that they have accepted the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Those people needed to be baptized in the Holy Spirit and filled with the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. We go a little bit further in the book of Acts and we see that even the very academic and the very sophisticated theologians of the world need to be filled and baptized in the Holy Spirit. Paul had sat at the feet of Gamaliel, the, the learned uh, academic, scholar, theologian, and he'd grown up under him as a Pharisee of Pharisees. Let me tell you, when you were a Pharisee of Pharisees, it meant that you'd memorized the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. 
You had memorized them. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. You had memorized word for word. This was no slouch. This was no new convert. This was a very staunch man. But on the road to go and persecute Christians and fight for his cause, Jesus appears to him. He gets knocked off his horse. He comes down from his high horse. He's blinded by this revelation of the glory of this Jesus. He hears him speaking. He can't see for days after that. I would say that is a conversion experience of note. I mean, I, I take pride and joy in my conversion experience because Jesus really got hold of me. And I know many of you, for some of us, we grew up and we just like, you know, like a slow cooked frog. You just, one day we knew we were Christians and we didn't know when it happened. And that's great. In fact, I love those testimonies. Don't get me wrong here. I think those testimonies are great because it shows how God just progressively reveals himself to some people. But others like me and Bill needed a slap behind the side of the head so that we'd wake up quickly. We got kicked off our horses. We went blind, but we heard the voice of Jesus. Amen? To Paul. Here he is after this encounter. And it says that, Then Ananias went to the house and entered it, placing his hands on Saul, He said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Paul the Apostle needed to be filled. He needed to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then finally, as we continue through the book of Acts, we see... Paul, Paul has this amazing encounter with Jesus. He's then worshipping, chapter 13, verse 1, it says, While they were worshipping the Lord, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart Paul and Barnabas for the ministry. Paul then, in many places, I've kind of drifted so far from our notes now, I wouldn't know where to find it, but there's a whole lot of verses in, in, uh, Acts 16 and, and verse 6, where the Holy Spirit forbade them from entering into an area. In 20, 23, he warned them against certain things. In 13, verse 1, the Holy Spirit set them apart. And when Paul described his prayer life, he said, I speak in tongues more than all of you. He says, don't forbid speaking in tongues. Because when someone speaks in tongues, he's not speaking to men, but he's speaking directly to God. There's a power in speaking in tongues that bypasses the intellectual uh, reasoning uh, capacity. It, it, it bypasses the, uh, the, the realm of doubt and unbelief. It goes from the Spirit to God and I'm the hotline that gets heated up between that exchange. What's going on in my heart, going straight to God, is praying and representing things that I might not even be aware of right now. Happening in other people's lives. Happening, about to happen in the future or whatever else. There's a powerful release of life. And Paul says, I speak in tongues more than all of you. He who speaks in an unknown tongue edifies himself. He says, when you come together, it's better you, you prophesy so people can understand you unless someone can interpret what you, your tongue, like we heard this morning. It's just great to hear a tongue in the church. I think you can go to some churches for 30 years and not hear someone speak in tongues. 
I'm talking charismatic churches. Because we become too prim and proper. And we don't want to embarrass seekers. So we want to be all things to all men. So let's stop speaking in tongues. No! He who speaks in an unknown tongue edifies himself. But in the church it needs to be interpreted. So it's better to prophesy. But outside of the gathering, I speak in tongues more than all of you says. And he finishes that chapter 14 by saying, forbid not speaking in tongues. A life filled and baptized with the Holy Spirit. So, one time, he's on one of his journeys now, about chapter 19, and he comes across some long-time disciples. It's about... Ten years after Pentecost. So the disciples have gone to fulfill the great commission, as Jesus said, go to the ends of the earth. And in one of Paul's journeys, he stumbles into a group of guys who had committed their lives to the Lord. While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples. Say disciples. Yeah. You're going to hear that word a lot this year and next year and the next year and then the next year as well. Disciples. And asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they answered, no, we didn't even know that there's a Holy Spirit. I don't know who was discipling them, but they also need to get thrown off their horse and get blinded by the light. Now, look, if you're not part of this church, I say things like that. My friends know I'm joking. But that time, I'm not really joking. I mean, who discipled these guys that they didn't even know there's a Holy Spirit? I hope by the end of this discipleship training we're doing here at this church, we know there's a Holy Spirit. Amen? And you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And like Peter, he got filled at Pentecost, but he got filled in chapter 4 when he was under threat. He got filled again in chapter 6 when there was another drama going on in the church. One baptism, but many fillings. You need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. You need to be filled. If Mary needed to be filled, if the disciples needed to be filled, if devout believers needed to be filled and baptized. So anyway, so Paul asks, okay, what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, that was a baptism of repentance. Uh, he told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. There were about 12 men in all. Those days they counted men, so there could have been a group of women as well. Civilizations come a long way. They only used to count men. Ladies, get a hold of that. I don't get an attitude with Paul now. He was a, he was a person of his time. Thank God we've moved on. As Yonki Cha said, the best men in my church today are all women. Thank God for the ladies. Thank God for the women. I'm glad my friend corrected me a few months back when he came to preach. And I, I, I introduced, someone said, I'm the pastor and that's the pastor's wife. He said, what? You're the pastor and she's the pastor. She's also, she's as much as a pastor, maybe more than of a pastor. Thank God for the women. So anyway, this crowd, Paul speaks to them about the Holy Spirit. He lays hands on them. And what do they do? Well, they're filled, they baptize, and then they speak in tongues. So we might ask, you know, is this 
being baptized with the evidence of speaking in tongues such a big deal? Well, it seems to have been a big deal in the scripture. It seems to have been a big deal with those at Ephesus and Samaria. And it seems to have been a big deal with uh, the early church. So I think that just gives us a, a suspicious sneak preview of what God wants for the believers is to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, and to speak in other tongues. You say, Steve, you mean I have to speak in other tongues? No, no, you don't have to speak in other tongues. But you get to speak in other tongues. You know, you don't have to receive this gift that's offered, but you get to receive it if you want it. And we shouldn't give up because we've had some prayer and someone told us now we don't have the Holy Spirit because we didn't speak in tongues. That's not the truth. You have the Holy Spirit. All of the Holy Spirit in you. You are full to the brim. You can't get any more Holy Spirit. And it's the same Holy Spirit Jesus had. It's not an inferior Holy Spirit. It's not a 12-year-old Holy Spirit. It's the whole Holy Spirit. It's God's Spirit Himself dwelling in you. But there's a baptism where we are saturated in the Holy Spirit and where we continually filled so that others are benefited by the overflow from our life. And speaking in tongues seemed to accompany this baptism. So we should go after it. We should believe in it. We should say, if I, I'm not speaking in tongues, Lord, that I'm going to keep on believing and trusting. And remember, it says that the Holy Spirit gave utterance to their words. So I want to remind you, a little lesson here is we do the speaking, but the Holy Spirit brings the meaning to the utterance. I open my mouth and I provide him with the vehicles to climb in and take the requests to heaven, the intercessory burden. I'm probably praying for Richard right now, that he'll, whatever God wants. That's the problem. When we bring a word, we always want to explain it. Sometimes you must just bring the word and leave the Holy Spirit to explain it. So, he comes to these people. He prays them. They speak in other tongues. We don't have to, but we get to. And he who prays in tongues edifies himself. So, during this month of teaching on the Holy Spirit, and last week listening to the gifts as, as Bill created an opportunity, wasn't that nice and effortless? Any, he showed what anybody can do. You write, you get a scripture from God, you go and give it to somebody, and then you start praying that scripture over their life. So right now, I could take one of the most common known scriptures in the Bible, like uh, ex Leviticus 24, 17. Um, just kidding. John 3, verse 16. I could say, for God so loved the world, Terry, and that included you. That he gave his only son. If you were the only person on the earth that accepted that, God so loved the world, Terry, that he gave his son. And if you will believe on him, you will not perish. You will not be separated in eternity. But you will receive everlasting life. Life that starts now. Amen? What have I just done? I've prophesied. And I like the, the way that Bill just very effortlessly gave people scriptures. We don't have to, you know, when we think of prophesying, we think of this guy foaming at the mouth, calling down lightning and brimstone on the city and, and eating locusts and raw honey and crawling across broken glass to show his commitment to God. No, 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 that's not the prophetic. The prophetic is, is a joy. It's effortless. It's fun. And it's simple. 
And it can be simple as just giving a person a scripture and then praying into it for them. Come on. If you've never prophesied, you can start there. And if you've never spoken in tongues, give the Holy Spirit your tongues. If you've never interpreted a tongue, that's why we waited a little bit this morning after a, a tongue was shared because the Bible says someone gets interpretation. It's not the translation. You can get different people interpreted because you get a sense in your spirit while a person's praying in tongues, yes, surrounded by angels, yes, angelic presence in the house, yes, the Lord says, I will commission my angels concerning you. And, and, and you put it into your own words. It's, it's an interpretation, not a, a word-for-word translation. Have you ever done that in your Christian life? Have you ever brought an interpretation to tongue? If not, I don't want to frighten you away from Monday nights, but Monday nights are quite practical. But God didn't say he'll give us a, a snake if we ask for the Holy Spirit. If we're scared of receiving the gifts of the Holy Spirit, we're saying to God, I don't really trust you. Because I'm going to ask you for a, I'll ask my dad for an egg and you'll give me an egg. But I'm scared if I ask you for an egg, you're going to give me a snake or a scorpion. God doesn't run like that. Says, if you know how to give good gifts, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? And this month we want to be asking. This month we want to be stepping out. This month we want to saturate ourselves in the Holy Spirit. Because it affects everything else we do in discipleship going forward. It affects how we pray. It affects how we read the Bible. It affects how we do evangelism. It affects discipleship itself. And it affects the local church. How the church operates. It's all in the power of the Holy Spirit. Discipleship is to bring people to the Father through the finished work of Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit. You need to be baptized. You and I need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Can you say amen? Amen. Let's stand together this morning and I'm going to pray a general prayer. I know we're going to have more practical stuff on Monday nights. I do apologize in advance. We have about 15 pastors together twice a year, once with Rob. Then that same group meets when Rob's not here. And it's this coming week, and it's Monday and Tuesday. But uh, that's, it's not about who's here and who's not here. But I just want to let you know that I take Monday nights very seriously. And the life groups need to be represented by somebody who can take some of that back. And we even have a life group now on Sunday morning after the church service for those who can't get here. We want to take small groups seriously because it's in small groups where discipleship takes place. Father, can you just lift your hands up? We've seen in your word that we need, like the early church in Acts, to be filled and to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And Lord, I know many of us are and many of us are continually. But Lord, I pray that we will never say enough. We will remain hungry for more. You said you resist the proud, but you give grace to the humble. Humility is just saying, God, I need you. God, I want more. God, I don't have it all. Pride says, I'll do it my way. Thank you very much. And people like that feel their lives always being resisted. Like an athlete running in a suit in the rain. It's not that he's a bad person. He's just being hindered. He's being restricted. That's the picture of pride. 
humility is coming in the right running gear and saying, I love what I do. So right now, Holy Spirit, would you just come? Our hearts are humble to receive. Our hearts are humble to receive. More of you, more of you. Let me overflow. Just say that right now. Let me overflow, Lord. Let the river that you promised well up inside of me and bubble over, flow out like a river cascading down a waterfall, flooding my household, flooding my neighborhood, flooding my office, flooding my workspace, flooding my community. Let the river that you promised, ankle deep, knee deep, waist deep, out of the temple, flow, flow. That's me and it's us right now. If you've never been baptized in the Holy Spirit, you know you're a believer. You've given your life to Christ. You have the Holy Spirit. But you, this baptism in the Holy Spirit is something new. This concept, this teaching. And you don't know if you've ever had hands laid on you and, and, and been baptized in the Holy Spirit. And in a minute, I'm going to dismiss the service, but I don't want you to run away. I want you to come right now and stand in the front because someone just wants to come and pray with you without putting pressure on you, without trying to manipulate anything, just to lay hands and pray. And I'd encourage you to come next Sunday and hear more. And I'd encourage you if you can get to the Monday nights. If you've never been baptized with the Holy Spirit, please don't leave here today. And if you've never given your life to Jesus, don't leave here today without coming and standing in front of you. And someone can pray for you. And I'll include in that prayer if someone's just really needing to be filled because they're feeling so dry come and stand there as well and we'll pray for you after the service in Jesus name Amen, Amen God bless, have a wonderful Sunday see you next week